0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins.
1: Welcome. Thanks for joining me for this Thursday edition of Washington Watch. Well, coming up, members of Congress headed home last night as conservative members remained at odds with the GOP leadership in the House. Conservatives, primarily members of the Freedom Caucus, defeated a procedural vote on Tuesday evening that caused the leadership to postpone floor votes for the rest of the week. The main issue driving the unrest is the debt ceiling measure that was approved last week. What will it take to resolve this impasse among Republicans in the House? Well, we're going to talk with a member of the Freedom Caucus, Virginia Congressman Bob Good, in just a moment. Also, yesterday we covered the anti-Christian Southern Poverty Law Center broadening its hate net to include parents and their organizations.
2: We have marked that there are actually 12 anti-student inclusion groups in the country that are pushing to ban certain books, ban curricula, punish teachers who talk about inclusive education, and generally make our school boards miserable in seeking to provide an inclusive education for all.
1: That was SPLC's new president, Margaret Huang. Now, notice that she repeatedly used the term inclusion. Now, if you really want a more accurate description of what she was saying, replace the word inclusion with indoctrination. Parents are tired of schools indoctrinating their children with leftist ideology. And so they are protesting. They are showing up at school board meetings to say, look, we don't want our tax dollars indoctrinating our children. So the SPLC, they're the really the attack dog of the left. Maybe. Just maybe they've gone a bridge too far this time. Tyler O'Neill, who has written the book, literally, on SPLC, joins me later here in the studio. And speaking of the Southern Impoverished Law Center, a report came out last night that gives credence to my statement that I made yesterday on this program, that there's probably collusion between the Biden administration and the Southern Poverty Law Center. Well, last night, a report came out from the Washington Beacon. Now, according to them, the author of the SPLC's hate report, Susan Cork, met in the White House earlier this year with National Security Council officials. Now, this sounds almost identical to what happened with the White House colluding with the National School Board's association to label parents as domestic terrorists. We're going to talk about that as well. And speaking of parents, parents in California squared off with Antifa thugs as the parents showed up at a school board meeting in Glendale, California, protect their children from the LGBTQ curriculum. I'm going to be joined by one of those moms and an employee from the Los Angeles school system later here on Washington Watch. And finally, Dr. Pat Robertson passed away today at the age of 93. The one-time presidential candidate led millions of Christians into political engagement through the Christian Coalition, and he equipped them with information through his very successful Christian Broadcasting Network, and through Regent University. I'll be joined by a member of the CBN team, John Jessup, a little bit later here on Washington Watch. Our word today comes from Nehemiah chapter 6. Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come and let us meet together in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm, and I sent messengers to them, saying, I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. So here's Nehemiah. He's building the wall, and those who are attempting to stop the work are coming at him from every angle. My first observation here is that the opposition is persistent, and so must we be. But next, we must resist the distractions designed to keep us from our God-given mission. There are times to meet and discuss differences, and then there are times to ignore the enticements to compromise and just do the work we've been called to. For more information on our journey through the Bible, go to frc.org slash Bible. Well, yesterday on the program, I discussed the SPLC expanding its hate group list to target concerned parents groups in addition to Christian organizations like the Family Research Council. Well, new reports indicate that Susan Cork, the architect of the SPLC's hate group list, met with White House national security officials earlier this year. Now, you'll remember the FBI opened 25 preliminary investigations into parents as a part of U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland's task force to monitor school board meetings. Joining me now to discuss this and more is Congressman Bob Good. He serves on the House Education and Workforce Committee, And as a member of the House Freedom Caucus, he represents the 5th Congressional District of Virginia. Congressman Good, welcome back to the program. Good to see you. Great to be with you, Tony. Thanks for having me again, my friend. So I want to start with the SPLC coming out uh, with their latest list of hate groups, labeling parents organizations that are speaking out about what's happening in our schools. Now, we also have information to suggest that the author of this report, meeting with the White House. This sounds like deja vu, back to where we saw the National School Boards Association in collusion with the White House to label parents as domestic terrorists.
3: Tony, this is consistent with the pattern with this administration. As you know, with all the harm that they have done, uh, one of the greatest, uh, most damaging aspects of this administration is the uh, weaponization of the federal government Uh, federal law enforcement and other agencies against uh, political opponents, those who dissent or disagree with the radical agenda of the left, of the Biden administration, and those who dare to question the efforts to indoctrinate our children in schools with anti-American ideology, uh, with racist ideology, with transgender ideology, or parents who stand up for the protection of their children against uh, a vaccine mandate uh, for, a, for a virus that they were never seriously at risk for, or mask mandates, or stand up and fight for their children to have in-person education opportunity, or the, to have the right kind of curriculum that's what's taught to their kids, or at least to know what the curriculum is and have a say in that, and then to be targeted Uh, by this federal government, by this Department of Injustice, and it's not surprising to see the confirmation for this visit that you're referencing uh, from the SPLC to be meeting with this administration, because this is who they get guidance from. This is who helps them strategize on how to attack those who are standing up for the right things in our country.
1: You know, Bob, what's interesting here is that there's, there's a clear set of issues for which the SPLC will go to bat for. Now, in times past, A long time ago, they actually did advocate for uh, human rights going against uh, racist organizations. Uh, That was a long time ago. Now it seems to be the nexus seems to be any organization that takes a stand against the CRT in our schools, as you pointed out, the mask, which is the overreach of government. But primarily, it hinges on the whole LGBTQ agenda that parents now are seeing what's happening with this and are pushing back. The only way for the left to succeed is to use the force of government, and that's where we see the collusion.
3: Yeah, absolutely, and you're right. The default uh, position for, uh, for the left, for the Democrats, uh for uh organizations like the SPLC is whenever you disagree with them or you challenge their narrative, you challenge their agenda, you challenge their position, then you're a racist of course, you're a homophobe, you're a transphobe, uh and they target you. I mean whether we're talking about Catholics in Richmond, whether we're talking about parents who stand up for their kids' rights at school, uh, whether we're talking about pro-life protesters, whatever it might be. Those are the people that the uh, this administration considers to be the greatest threat to the country, that these are to be threatened, intimidated, harassed, arrested, even imprisoned uh, for standing up for what they believe in, for for exercising, frankly, their First Amendment protected rights to petition their government with their grievances to protest peacefully uh, and and just to stand up for the protection of their own children. Their primary responsibility as parents for the protection of their children. But this is par for the course. This is consistent with how this administration operates, and that continues to be revealed day by day. So, Congressman Good, I mean, the question I think
1: that's on the forefront of a lot of parents who are increasingly being involved in education and, and other organizations like our own that's been labeled, and, and as a result of them putting us on their hate map, we had a shooting here in our building 11 years ago. That's right. Uh, Congress can't solve everything, obviously, but what can be done to, you know, and, and, and the SPLC has every right in, the, in our country to be wrong and to be out there. So I, that, that's not the issue. The issue is the government holding them up as a credible source of who is, you know, a a domestic terrorist organization, you know, this, you know, undefined nebulous term uh, hate group, but they should not have the credibility of being able to work with the government. How do we address that?
3: Well, uh, organizations like yours have a role. We appreciate how you're trying to help highlight this, bring transparency, some accountability in terms of public exposure. That's part of it, of course. Uh, Also, uh, Congress has a role, obviously, an oversight responsibility, uh, uh, because obviously this is all connected to the federal agencies, the federal departments, the executive branch that is, uh, quite frankly, uh, contrary to the founding principles of this country and contrary to at least half of uh, American citizens who may hold a different political view, a different cultural view, a different values view than this administration does. And so what Congress needs to do is, particularly through the Oversight Committee and the Judicial Committee, uh, to hold hearings, to hold, uh, to subpoena witnesses uh, when necessary from a subpoena standpoint. We saw that with the FBI, of course, just recently, but also just to compel witnesses to come and appear, even in the Education and Workforce Committee that I serve on. I mean, just yesterday, uh, as we were just uh, speaking uh, to the, uh, things like the uh, the border invasion, quite frankly, because we're dealing with a healthcare issue, but we were targeted, or, or I should say, labeled by my fellow colleagues in the in the Education Workforce Committee hearing just yesterday, that you know we were racist because we think the nation ought to have a secure border. Uh, so that's what their default position here is in Congress. But we can't be afraid of that. We can't be afraid of the name calling or the labeling. Uh, we've got to expose what they're doing, uh, and then Congress needs to continue to do its over, uh, oversight responsibility as a representative of the people. Uh, Congressman, good final question for you. Switching gears here very quickly. The the, the House
1: left a little early this week after the Tuesday um, procedural vote on on one of the bill, the rules actually went down, and, and, and at the heart of this. Is uh, concerned by conservatives that there has been a breach of agreement with the Republican leadership, and and so the uh, the House left early this week.
3: What's the uh, what's the resolution here? Well, trying to give you the quick answer with the limited time that we have. Yes, there was an, a, a decision just kind of made organically on the House floor Tuesday evening that we were going to take down a rule to stop uh, the the the, the uh, uh, legislative. Uh, movement in the House uh, to, to just say, hey, we're not going to stand for what happened last week with passing a massive spending bill uh, that didn't work through regular order that we felt like was a violation of the agreement that was made by some of my colleagues for Speaker McCarthy to become the Speaker of the House uh, to cut spending, to institute fiscal reforms, uh, and and then there was some retaliation towards members who voted against the rule last week to advance the debt ceiling bill, which we think is a terrible bill. It basically adopts and uh, continues all of the massive spending of the Biden administration for the remaining year and a half that's left in his hopefully in this president's term. Uh, and every Republican who voted for that bill voted to own that that spending and to affirm that spending, quite frankly, it keeps spending basically flat for the next year and a half unless there's new spending that's increased. But, frankly, it's an unlimited increase of the debt ceiling, as much as Congress can spend. And, frankly, this was, hey, we're hitting pause to say we're not going to continue down this track. We need to come back together and, now, and, 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 frankly, break the coalition that was established last week between House Republican leadership and Democrats to pass massive spending legislation that's harmful to the country and ruins or, or further worsens our fiscal situation. Are you close to getting to an agreement? an understanding? Well, we're certainly having discussions. I'm still in D.C. Many of my colleagues uh, that are part of this uh, uh, initiative are, are still here in D.C. And uh, we, we did get agreement to move Andrew Clyde's uh, bill protecting uh, st- a pistol stabilizing braces. That's going to be voted on. That's going to be the first thing that's going to be voted on next week on Tuesday. Uh, but there's more than that to talk about on how we move forward together. All right. Congressman Bob Good, always great to see you. Appreciate your leadership on the Hill. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Tony. Great to be with you. All
1: right, folks, don't go away. More Washington Watch on the other side of the break as we go to the left coast to see what's happening in the schools out there.
0: Today, more than ever, men need a reminder of what biblical manhood looks like and to understand God's good design for them, to serve as provider, instructor, battle buddy, defender, and chaplain. They need a battle plan to truly live out their role.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us on this Thursday. Be sure and check out the website Tony Perkins. Lots of lots of resources there for you, including the petition to go to the Weaponization Committee regarding the Southern Poverty Law Center, folks. This is time to draw a line. This group is out of control, uh, but the left is emboldened. They're emboldened by the the leftists that are in this administration. But we're seeing this play out. They're, they're having an effect all across the country in terms of the unrest that they're creating. Now, there was a chaotic scene that unfolded outside of a school board meeting in Glendale, California, on Tuesday, when Antifa, Southern California, encouraged activists to confront concerned parents outside a school board meeting. Parents were showing up, as they have every right to do. Their tax dollars are paying for these schools, and their children are in the schools. Well, a scuffle was created outside, distracting uh, the legacy media, of course, they were eager to co- cover the scuffle outside. But inside at the meeting, concerned parents took a stand against all of the LGBTQ indoctrination that's taking place with their children. Well, joining now to discuss this is Glendale parent, Karen Nelson, and an actual staff member at the Los Angeles Unified School District, Artine Azadorian. Uh, Karen, Artina, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you. Hi. I I just want to start and I'll ask both of you this question and and Carol we can start with you what is your concern about what's happening in the schools
5: Uh I have many concerns and um I think things have just gotten so out of control um with gender ideology and and throughout all of our culture and society everything is exploding and and um it's really coming to a flash point, and I have specific concerns uh, for for our family. Our specific concerns have been with um, locker room policies. and we uh, my son was uh, went into the locker room that had the word boys above it, thinking it was for specifically for boys with that anatomy. Actually didn't even think about it because the assumption throughout all the human history with the word boys is that's what it means. So he never stopped to question it. He changed in there, disrobed in there for pretty much the entire year, right up to the end of the school year. Um, and then we found out that he had been disrobing with a girl present in the locker room and he felt very deceived. And this, uh, the school stands by it, defends it. I actually emailed uh, the principal asking, to clarify, is there a girl in the locker room with him? And I was told that um, the response was, well, since um, since according to state law, transgender individuals uh, are allowed to use the locker room of their choice, no, there's no reason to believe there is a girl in the locker room with your son. And um, I pushed a little farther, and he just kind of stonewalled me and just said, I don't know. And this kind of deception is happens all the time in the school district. But
1: it, it appears that parents are now saying, "All right, the, the, the gig's up. We know what you're doing." And, and and more and more parents are speaking out. Artina, you spoke out at you spoke at the the, uh, the board meeting. Describe what took place there.
2: Well, we were definitely outnumbered by the LGBTQ community. Uh, there was only a handful that were um concerned with the agenda that is going on at the schools um, and we um as we spoke we were booed and um you know <laughs> you know kind of doing this um at every word while we sat respectfully and listened to them but that's what happened in the boardroom and we were just it seemed like um there was definitely an organized group of people that were handpicked to speak, lots of people from the community, uh, not necessarily that were even had children at the school. So uh, it it just it felt like um, we were, um, we, it was a show. Yeah, is that there a sense that
1: there's an effort to try to intimidate parents? I mean, we saw what took place outside the school, Antifa, calling for people to come. Is there an effort to try to intimidate parents to back away?
5: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And Antifa's strategy, and I'm only just learning this. This is not something I regularly have ever I ever participated in, so it's all new to me. But what I'm finding is we're out there to have a protest, to protest these policies in GUSD, to let them know we're unhappy and to ask for some changes. And to simply be out there protesting is our legal right and it's what we should do as citizens and antifa comes in and they come in and they agitate their professionals at this they have their strategy they come in they agitate our parents who are already upset by being marginalized by GUSD and pushed to the side with all of our concerns they don't care And then Antifa comes in, finds these parents, especially the ones that are super angry at that moment. They know how to spot them. They know how to come in. They start antagonizing. They do their pushing, their shouting, their shoving to bring it to a fight. Then the fight ensues. Then the police come in, call it an unlawful assembly. This is what happened the other night. They come in, call it an unlawful assembly, disperse the crowds, and the protest then has to be shut down. This is their strategy for silencing our voices. They want their voices heard, but when it comes time for us to have our voices heard, they know exactly how to get a shutdown.
1: So, final question for you: What do you see, parents? How do parents responding to this? Are they are they emboldened, knowing that this resistance, this opposition, the the marginalization that's taking place, tells them this is important, and they need to press in?
2: Absolutely, I think, uh, especially the Armenian community. Uh, as an Armenian, I'll speak for our um, community. We don't like to be uh, marginalized like that. You know, we've already gone through so much discrimination coming to a new country and then having um, our voices not be heard when we pay taxes, we're legal. Um, most of us are legal here and we're, we're, um, we vote. Um, and to have us um, kind of ignored uh, there was actually a parent who spoke up and said to uh, the superintendent, I told you this was gonna happen, but you didn't listen. Mm. And he, he was so upset. He said, I told you this was gonna happen and you didn't listen. So it made me think, oh, so there has been many active parents who have been warning them, look, you have to you have to be transparent with your curriculum. You have to let us know what's happening because we want to have choice. Right. We want to have a say. And um, you know, their answer is always, we're following the law. Well, the Korean-Americans,
5: I think, are just now starting to find out. Uh, I have a Korean-American immigrant friend this morning that I was speaking with. I had sent her a clip of what they were talking yeah. about doing on June 2nd with all the rainbow celebrations. Mm-hmm. And um, I sent her that clip she showed her friends and they couldn't believe it. They were absolutely stunned. They had no idea and they ended up keeping ladies, their kids home. Ladies,
1: thank seconds. you for joining us. Get we'll to leave it there. Folks, stick with us. We're back after this.
4: Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives.
6: Have you seen the Now We Live series? It is a six-week worldview Bible study created in partnership with Family Research Council and Summit Ministries. This video series was put together to help Christians propel faith into action. It offers six free videos to prompt rich discussions about some of life's most foundational questions among churches, small groups, and families. Each video is led by well-known Christian voices and addresses questions regarding worldview, Jesus, truth, identity, and society. It's so important for Christians to both know the truth and to live in a way that is compatible with the truth. Being grounded in what is true and living out God's grace allows a believer's faith to truly transform one's own life and ultimately help transform a broken world. Equip yourself and other Christians to learn more about what it means to truly hold a biblical worldview. Access this important series by going to frc.org slash worldview. Again, go to frc.org
1: slash worldview. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us on this Thursday. The website, TonyBerkins.com. Well, one of the first messages I received this morning was that Dr. Pat Robertson passed away at his home this morning at the age of 93. Now, Pat Robertson was a giant in the Christian community, serving as the founder of the Christian Broadcasting Network and the founder, chancellor, and CEO of Regent University. And personally, I'm grateful for his vision and courage, which Actually led to my introduction to the world of government and political action. After he ran for president in 1988, he launched the family research. uh, He he launched the Christian Coalition. Of course, that's been a great ally, the Family Research Council. And since I've been here over the last 20 years, I have have had an opportunity to talk to him on many occasions. But he was he leaves a strong legacy of Christian responsibility, Christian activism, and he has literally reshaped the political landscape of America because of his obedience. Joining me now to talk about this is John Jessup. He is a CBN news anchor and the co-host of Faith Nation. And I often have the privilege to be on his show. And so I'm honored to have him on online. John, welcome. We're turning the tables here, Tony. Thank you for we having are. me. We are. I get to do the, intervi- the, uh, the interview today. Now, this is, you know, when something like this happens, people reflect on the individual. And you, having been at CBN for a number of years, your thoughts on Dr. Robertson?
7: Yeah, it's a it's a staggering loss, Tony. Um, we at CBN internally have known for some time that uh, the time was coming close. Uh, I, I work with Abigail Robertson, his granddaughter, in the DC bureau. She's our White House uh, correspondent, and. Uh, she's kind of kept us plugged in. Um, so, of course, this is a huge loss for CBN. Anytime an organization loses its founder, its figurehead, uh, it's a huge loss. But Pat has been central to the ministry for 60 years. Uh, on top of that, um, you know, he's a family man. He's a father, a grandfather, a great-grandfather. Um, so it's a heavy loss for the family. And, and we're mourning with them. Uh, we're also celebrating them uh, with them for a few moments. We had some time with Abby today. And she was sharing some reflections. She flew out last night to spend some time with him. And, and um, as we mourned, we were able to celebrate because we were reminded of what she said. Pat had told her um, that the best days of CBN are ahead. And we believe that. So the mission and God's plan for CBN continues as it did yesterday and is, yeah. has for the past six years, which is to preach the gospel.
1: I often describe him, along with Dr. Falwell, who was kind of a mentor of mine, as uh, part of the Mount Rushmore of mm-hmm. evangelicals. Mm-hmm. Uh, In in part, I I see him very much like Dr. Falwell. Both had institutions of uh, higher Higher learning, learning, but they poured into the next generation. And it wasn't about them. It was about the next generation. It was about equipping, educating others. That's 100 percent true. I think what's
7: interesting is, you know, two years ago, almost Pat stepped down as the host of the 700 Club. It's something that he had Um, of course created. It's something that was dear to his heart. But the one thing that he didn't step down from was being chancellor of Regent University, one of the Christian premier uh, universities in the country. And, um, you know, its motto is uh, Christian leadership to change the world. So I think his his desire to stay on and impact young people's minds and to shape future leaders, like you just said, it was core to who
1: he was. Any personal interactions and and, and experiences you've had over the years
7: um you know they were few because i work in dc but um the few interactions i've had um were through his granddaughter's weddings um just to see him i could see him uh, let me just be very candid when you're the ceo and the founder of a company there can be stories about um how it's difficult to work for this person because you have high expectations um the three pillars of cbn's values are innovation integrity and excellence so That's what he's expecting to see. What I was surprised to see in my interactions with him was just how humble he was. Uh, I I think he had high expectations, but he himself saw uh, who he was as simply a servant of God. Um, And, uh, you know, my last interaction with him was a few months ago on his 93rd birthday. We had this big celebration on the 700 Club. He came back, and uh, there was this moment where he was on the set by himself, and I, um, I walked up, and I just said, Dr. Robertson, I just want to say thank you for uh, your service, for your obedience and your faithfulness. And he just looked at me. He said, thank you. And you do a great job. <laughs> um, so he turned the tables. And I think that, that humility was really a hallmark of, um, you know, he often said, if I did anything good, that was God. If I failed or did anything bad, that was all my fault. So that, that really marked me.
1: Well, he, he was an encourager. And as you said, he's built an organization That far surpasses the ability of one man. Mm. He's built a unified organization with a vision that will carry it into the future.
7: That's absolutely right. You know, uh, he would often tell our partners, he prayed for three things, for wisdom, for God's favor, and his anointing. And the one thing that changed my prayer paradigm was when he said, I prayed... God, I want to be a part of your plan. And I realize I used to pray, God, would you bless my plans? So I feel like we've all been able to walk in that legacy, being a part of God's plan, because he was faithful with that yes.
1: But, John, the only thing I have left to say to you is how would you get stuck in Washington and not in Virginia Beach?
7: Uh, It was part of God's plan. (laughs) Uh, Honestly, if someone said that I, I would work at the 700 Club 20 years ago when I first started, I'd say absolutely not. Um, But God had this uh, plan for me to be a part of the newsroom. Uh, I saw myself as a straight news guy, and I figured I could do that. Um, But, man, it's just been a tremendous blessing. I've learned so much working in D.C. I've been able to meet fine folks like you and learn from you. Um, And just uh, it's just been a blessing to cover what's going on in the world from the seat of the world's power.
1: Well, let me say we appreciate you and we appreciate CBN and CBN News uh, because we know that our viewers our constituents they look to cbn and if there was ever a time that we need news from a biblical perspective from people we can trust it's it's now and i'm glad you're one of those guys john tony i really appreciate it thanks for having me on today all right john jessup thanks so much for being with us well folks don't go away because on the other side of the break we're going to have more washington watch we're going to take a deeper dive into the splc the southern impoverished law center In fact, we're going to have Tyler O'Neill, who literally wrote the book on the SPLC. He's going to join us to discuss their latest antics and how the left uses them to influence
3: the federal government.
6: Are you prepared to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth? It is imperative that Christians pray for their community and culture to steward their role as a citizen by voting and to stand for biblical truth. This means that Christians must be intentional about seeking after the Lord in all things. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to inspire brothers and sisters in Christ to turn their attention to the Lord first and in every compartment of their lives. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly half-hour program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. Watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts and commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. Just go to prayvotestand.org. Again, that's prayvotestand.org.
0: Tech censorship is on the rise. Big tech companies are attempting to cancel conservatives and Christians, which is why here at Family Research Council, we've decided to be proactive so that big tech cannot silence us completely. FRC has a text subscription platform to be sure we can continue to keep you in the loop. That way you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone. Just sign up for our text alerts by texting STAND to 67742. Again, you simply text STAND to 67742, and FRC will send you special alerts on the issues that matter to you. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. You'll have access to content that will help you continue to stand for faith, family, and freedom. And you'll know about opportunities to connect with like-minded communities. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know.
6: Finding a quality news source today in this media-saturated world can be incredibly difficult. It is important to stay informed on what is going on in the world, but you need a news source you can trust. That is why Family Research Council created The Washington Stand, an online news platform with a mission to provide readers with free factual news stories, and commentaries all from a biblical worldview. Based in Washington, D.C., our reporters provide reliable information on the most crucial issues of the day, ranging from breaking news on the hottest Supreme Court decisions to details on the latest public education stories, updates to domestic and international religious liberty cases, and more. We want you and your family to stay informed on what is happening in the world that affects faith, family, and freedom. Be encouraged. Be in the know. And stand firm in truth by visiting washingtonstand.com today. That's washingtonstand.com.
1: This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us on this Thursday afternoon. And be sure and check out the website, tonyperkins.com. As I mentioned, lots of resources there for you, including a link to sign the petition to the Weaponization Committee regarding the Southern Poverty Law Center. There is no reason that the federal government should use the Southern Impoverished Law Center as a resource. And so we're going to continue to look at this. Uh, we're going to look at the, uh, the, how the tentacles of the Southern Poverty Law Center are intertwined throughout the federal government, including all the way up to the White House. Now, this is a, uh, a, a junk mail fundraising firm. Uh, Oh, by the way, he had a staff attorney arrested earlier this year on charges of domestic terrorism in Atlanta. Uh, And they said he was an observer there. Actually, that's even worse because he was defending Antifa. Now, their hate map, as I mentioned earlier in the program, inspired another domestic terrorist, Floyd Corkins, who uh, attempted mass murder here at the Family Research Council 11 years ago. And now this same organization has brought this same danger to concerned parents working to protect their children from the indoctrination of the left in schools paid for by the parents' tax dollars. Joining me now in studio to discuss this is Tyler O'Neill. He is the managing editor of The Daily Signal, another great resource out there for you, and the author of the book Making Hate Pay, The Corruption of the Southern Poverty Law Center. Tyler, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks for coming to stu- in the studio.
8: Always a pleasure to be here.
1: So you wrote the book on uh, the SPLC, and we've known for a long time that they are a sleazy uh, leftist group. They're the attack dog for the left. But, I mean, have they gone too far this time actually going after parents who are showing up at school board meetings? Yeah,
8: you would think so. Uh, This organization is utterly, you know, morally bankrupt, but... You know, when when the SPLC went after a Family Research Council and Alliance Defending Freedom, I thought it couldn't go. It couldn't sink any further. Now they're they're putting concerned moms and dads on the list. You know, the very people who elected Glenn Youngkin here or uh, down in Virginia in 2021. And, you know, it's to call it jumping the shark, I think, would be a vast understatement of how far this move has gone.
1: But could they just be intoxicated with their own uh, headlines and power where th- th- they're clueless that they are out of step with the vast majority of Americans? Now, I mean, they came after us. We were the f- we, actually I guess we were the first, you know, outside of their traditional groups that they go after. And so we were kind of alone and people, you know, you get the media marginalizing groups. and They begin to think, but they've broadened the net so far that I mean, half the country can be hate groups. I mean, I think even non-reasonable leftist, you know, liberals are thinking, wait a minute, can can half the country be a hate group? Well, I think
8: what you're seeing with the SPLC is that they're in their own bubble. Yeah. And a lot of t- the times the left likes to demonize anyone who speaks out against the extreme way they've been pushing LGBT ideology in schools. You know, the way that they want the notion that a school would encourage a child to identify as the sex opposite as the gender opposite their biological sex and put them on hormones and these things that will change their lives forever in intentionally keeping parents out of the loop, right. you know, making parents not aware that the kid might identify this way. But, you know, the SPLC is trying to cover for this extremely right. radical
1: movement. Cover. They're providing so, they're, the cover.
8: so they're demonizing the people who come out and say the truth
1: about it. And- and frankly, they have every right to do that. OK. And I said this earlier, they, they have a right to be stupid. Uh, this, this country gives people the right to do the wrong thing. <laughs> yes. But
8: within limits, there is oh, defamation. Yeah. Yes.
1: Yes. I, I, I understand that. But my big issue, Tyler, is that they are using the levers of government to accomplish this. It's not just it's not a fair fight, if you will. It's not just their voice and our voice. It's their voice intertwined with the power of the government.
8: Yeah. And they've long been encouraging law enforcement to monitor and go after hate groups. Now these are, you know, anti government
1: extremist groups. So how do they get by with that when their own staff attorney? was down where they were literally attacking a law enforcement training center outside of Atlanta, Georgia, and they want to act as if they're an ally to law enforcement. They're anti-law enforcement.
8: Yeah, well, this, this is the interesting thing about the SPLC. They talk out of both sides of their mouth. So on the one hand, they're saying, oh, we need to have law enforcement crack down on terrorism, by which they mean conservatives who are speaking their values in the public square. And on the other hand, they say, Oh, but we can't trust the police because they're institutionally racist. So how do they get by with that? Yeah, I mean, it's the media. It's a double doublethink.
1: Is it the media? The media?
8: It, it's partially the media. It's partially the government. I mean, as as you were talking, you know, the the woman who's behind the intelligence project, Susan Cork, had a meeting at the Biden White House, and the SPLC has been working with the Biden White House on their domestic terrorism strategy. So. I mean, this goes all the way up to the top. And President Biden nominated the SPLC attorney, Nancy Abudu. And I mean, right. oh, FRC radical. was on the, the front lines trying to block her confirmation. And somehow she actually made it through the Senate. I'd still like to hear a real response from the Democrats on that.
1: So I want to go back to Susan Cork, Corkins, uh, Cork, yes. uh, who was the author of this report Uh, meeting in the Biden White House back in January of this year. This looks very similar to the attorney general, Merrick Garland, and the infamous letter regarding parents and going to school board meetings and the collusion that we now know took place between the White House or the administration and the National School Boards Association.
8: Yeah, I'd say your sense of deja vu is right on point. Um, What we what we're seeing here is the Southern Poverty Law Center. It's almost like the Biden administration is outsourcing its attack on parents to the SPLC as their partisan attack dog so that the next time there comes an opportunity for them to sick government troops on concerned parents, they can point to the SPLC and say, look, they identified these as anti-government extremist groups. We we should monitor them. You know, we should we should put, we should put them on our own.
1: But they, they again, you know, not not to beat a dead horse, but they, they, I think they may have gone so far because I, as I've been, in fact, had uh, uh, one of the the moms from one of the parents groups on the program yesterday, and their response was, "Hey, I'm gonna, we're gonna wear this as a badge of honor that we finally have been recognized by the Southern <laughs> Poverty Law Center." And, and I'm, I'm just wondering, actually, I, I could see. Groups saying, you know, uh, labeled by the Southern Poverty Law Center. I mean, that's it's almost a badge of uh, of honor among conservatives.
8: Yeah, I I would consider it more of a badge of honor if it wasn't the case that a lot of times when you Google these groups, the Southern Poverty Law Center smears are the first thing that come up. Yeah, I'd consider it more of a badge of honor if organizations didn't struggle to still raise money and to gain the attention that they deserve in the media because the SPLC was branding, smearing them hate groups. I think this still carries a lot of negative weight, even though people like you and me, we know not to trust the SPLC.
1: But that's why I think is, is, they, is they put more people into this, uh, this pot. And then you see actually corporations. I think one of these corporations are now going to have to answer for this that, After uh, Charlottesville and after uh, Floyd, uh, uh, George Floyd, George Floyd, you had the all these corporations, you know, falling over themselves to give money to Southern Poverty Law Center and Black Lives Matter. Um, And it's now you have these same parents who shop in some of these stores and use these corporations that are being demonized by the Southern Poverty Law Center. I would have to think that, you know, some of these corporations have some liability there.
8: Yeah, no, and I would say to the concerned moms and dads out there listening to us right now, you should find out which organizations. I think it was Apple, J.P. Morgan Chase, which companies have bankrolled the Southern Poverty Law Center, and make a point to, if you have to shop there, you know, raise your objections. But otherwise, avoid them the same way that they're successfully doing with Bud Light and Target.
1: Uh, Speaking of money, how much money do they have?
8: $730 million, almost three quarters of a billion dollars in their endowment and offshore accounts in the Cayman Islands with millions of dollars. And those are the ones that they report to the IRS.
1: And they just keep raking in this money selling hate.
8: Oh, yeah selling exaggerated hate, which their own their own former employee said was exaggerated. He said they're part of the con. They know that it's a highly profitable scam and it remains highly profitable.
1: I mean, you even had the FBI cited recently the Southern Poverty Law Center research when they were calling for surveillance of traditional Catholic groups. Exactly. And that
8: thankfully, you know, brave whistleblower released that memo and the FBI decided to retract it immediately. But I mean, this this should still raise alarm bells for Americans across the country, because these conservative Catholic and look, I've I've spoken with a few of the Catholics on that group on that list. And they're not haters. They're not anti-Semites. They're not whatever the SPLC is spewing. And they don't they don't deserve FBI surveillance. And I've spoken with members of a church in Virginia that say that they saw F what they saw what they thought was FBI surveillance at their mass. So this is a real problem. And, and the very fact that this memo exists suggests that Merrick Garland has, has behind the scenes issued an order telling the FBI that it is fine to cite the Southern poverty law center, because we know from former attorney General Jeff Sessions that he issued an order specifically saying the opposite. So the only way the Richmond memo ever could have emerged is if the FBI reversed its former policy.
1: So I uh, just got a few minutes left, but w- explain the connection between SPLC and Antifa. I mean because have, have they listed? We only ans- have a few minutes left. <laughs> have they listed Antifa as an extremist or a hate group?
8: No, they haven't listed Antifa as a hate group. They haven't listed, you know, Jane's Revenge as a hate group. They haven't listed anybody on. But the But all left. of them are connected with violence. Yes, exactly. So the way they get around Antifa. They they actually attacked, not only did they not attack Antifa or list them as a hate group, but they attacked the Trump administration for suggesting that Antifa should be marked as a terrorist group. And they're acting as though this was attacking free speech. Meanwhile, they're putting Family Research Council and Alliance Defending Freedom on a map that has been tied to domestic terrorism in the
1: past. And, and, and we have no connection with violence whatsoever. But the groups that they support and run with... I mean, that's basically all they do is incite violence.
8: Yeah. I mean, how do you define Antifa? You you always see them in their masks, protesting, doing, throwing Molotov cocktails at police and trying to prevent a police construction. It's,
1: yeah. All right. Tyler, um, what do we do? How do we address this?
8: Well, you can buy my book. Of course, everybody says that. It's called Making Hate Pay. There is a concrete act that we can do right now to make the SPLC, to hold the SPLC more accountable. And that's supporting uh, the the Dustin Inman Society. D.A. King is the first hate group whose defamation lawsuit has made it to the point of discovery, which means he can request SPLC documents. But he desperately needs money to keep his his lawsuit going. He doesn't have $730 million like the SPLC does. So you can support his lawsuit on GoFundMe and on Give, Send, Go. If you just search Dustin Inman Society or D.A. King, it'll come right up. And and please chip in some money to keep his his lawsuit going because – he his lawsuit represents the most concrete threat right now.
1: What what attorneys are representing? Does he have private representation? I
8: or? believe he's pro se and he's made it here on his own. So one of one of the reasons why he needs he, he may not be pro se, that's one of the reasons he's trying to raise money, but lawsuits are not cheap and he's not a lawyer by profession. So this is and he only made it past discovery because in this particular case the SPLC said he wasn't a hate group and then they said he was a hate group and i mean there are other there are other examples but they also registered a lobbyist to oppose a bill that he was supporting right when they decided to designate him a hate group
1: so i think there's clear motive well that's that's a that's a mo of uh, of the southern poverty law center I mean, just like they're doing to these parents. And this is not new, by the way. I didn't I didn't mention, you know, I think back in uh, 2010 was a group in a parents group in Minnesota that was opposing an LGBT curriculum. And the Southern Poverty Law Center uh, labeled them a hate group. So this is their this is their their M.O. If someone opposes the left's agenda, they slap this uh, hate label on them to try to silence them.
8: So if you see an organization on the list, it falls into one of three categories. Either it's an effective social conservative or, um, you know, or immigration organization that's calling out the radicalism of the left, or it barely exists at all. And it's just there to pad.
1: So they can make money and show more numbers.
8: Or it's one of these actually, you know, teeny tiny, you know, they do actually hate people and nobody listens to them. So... Those are the groups on the list.
1: Tyler O'Neill, thanks for coming in. Great to see you.
8: Hey, my pleasure. Always glad to
1: be here. Appreciate uh, what you guys do over there at the Daily Signal.
8: And appreciate what you do at the Washington Stand.
1: All right. So uh, check out his book. Go to TonyPerkins.com. We've got links there. And, uh, of course, we're going to continue to track this as we have uh, more news. Until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words that the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you have taken your stand, by all means, keep standing.